The show you love with even more local, local news, news and more local talk. talk. The voice of the valley. The Mike Douglas Show. Now weekdays from 3 till 5. On air and online. Power Talk 1360 KFIV. Here's your host, Mike Douglas. And welcome to the Mike Douglas Show here on this Thursday afternoon in California's Central Valley right here on Power Talk 1360 KFIV, Mike Douglas here, your concierge for conversation as we get the ball rolling on a plethora of topics that we're going to be talking about today. First of all, as as you look at the uh, the condition of our country right now, our society, as you look at California, if you're not happy with what you see, I remind you, T-minus 75 days and counting to November 8, the midterms. 75 days, 1,800 hours, 108,000 minutes, 6,480,000 seconds to go. So important that we gather as much information as we can and make informed, rational, and common-sense decisions when we go to the polls, or I guess we don't go anymore, but we vote anyway on November 8, 2022. Uh, looking at the headlines today, just to make sure we catch up, uh, as you know, probably know, Magistrate Judge Bruce Reinhardt has ordered the Justice Department to release a redacted version of the affidavit that was used uh, to accompany the search warrant the FBI used uh, to search former President Trump's Florida estate at Mar-a-Lago. Apparently, uh, the magistrate judge said he was satisfied with the redactions that the Department of Justice made, uh, basically due to security concerns. He said, I find that the government has met its burden of showing a compelling reason, good cause, to seal portions of the affidavit. Uh, He acknowledged the potential for fully unredacted versions to compromise the ongoing investigation by revealing crucial information. So, in other words, the judge magistrate says, yes, I believe uh, a redacted version should be released, but there are certain things in it that need to remain confidential. Uh, The judge says the government has proved parts uh, of the affidavit should be kept under wraps, and apparently that deals with the identities of witnesses and uh, law enforcement personnel, etc. So uh, the investigation strategy, direction, scope, sources, and methods, etc., uh, are not to be compromised. So we'll see. Uh, we'll see what happens with that. I know uh, a lot of media outlets are looking forward to that. I would like to see the affidavit. I would like to see the uh, the rationale for the warrant. And I guess we will wait with collective breaths until uh, that is released. And of course, uh, the issue of loan forgiveness uh, still on everybody's mind. Uh, it's even Democrats are looking at this saying, I'm not sure this is a good idea, Mr. President. Uh, Representative Tim Ryan from Ohio says, waiving debt for those already on a trajectory to financial security sends the wrong message to millions of Ohioans without a degree working just as hard to make ends meet. 
Nevada Senator Catherine Cortez Matzo says, um, I don't agree with uh, the executive action because it doesn't address the root problems that make college unaffordable. So I'm listening uh, to all of this. I'm, I'm wondering if the universities and the colleges, uh, I think they ought to be the ones to uh, refund so, or, or to uh, pay off some of those loans. I, I don't know. Again, I'm not in favor of, of you and me having to pay someone else's tuition when they're the ones that took the loan out. I know we've discussed this a lot, but uh, I think that update is, uh, is very important. Uh, also, uh, this is very interesting. California Air Resources Board, as you know, is pushing a requirement that all new cars sold by the state of California uh, by date uh, 2035 must have zero emissions. And so it really uh, constitutes a ban on uh, new gas-powered vehicles. And uh, it's, uh, let's see, it would require automakers to make sure that 35% of all new passenger cars sold by 2026 have no emissions. And about 16% of new cars sold in California so far this year have zero emissions, uh, which is a little bit higher than the national average of 6%. Let's, uh, I'd like for you to hear from the chairperson of the California Air Resources Board, uh, Leanne Randolph, uh, defending the board's plan. More stringent mobile source emission controls are necessary to help California achieve federal air quality standards and the state's greenhouse gas targets that will protect public health and mitigate the effects of climate change. All right. And then uh, Ms. Randolph uh, spun this word salad, I guess we could call it. And I'm going to play it, and then I will play it again with my translation of what it means to me. Now, it may mean something else to you, and we'll open the phone shortly, and and you're welcome to give us your translation. Uh, So I'm going to play this through once and then give you my translation, uh, and then we'll open the phones and see what you think. All right, here, uh, here is what I call the word salad. The proposed regulations therefore establish new regulatory incentives to improve access to clean transportation options for lower income households and communities most impacted by pollution. Okay, let me play it again. I'm going to stop it at uh, certain points and give you my translation, uh, hopefully into what I feel are common sense, plain speak English uh, translations of uh, what was just said. All right, let's uh, let's start here. The proposed regulations therefore establish new regulatory incentives. New regulatory incentives. To me, that means if you don't comply, we're going to destroy you as a business, and if you're a consumer, we're going to take away your options to purchase gas-powered engines that currently outperform electrical vehicles and uh, engines. That, that's what it means to me. Let's go on. To improve access to clean transportation options. To me, that means we're going to force you to take public transportation. We're going to force you to 
quit taking road trips by eliminating private transportation as much as possible. And we're going to make public transportation as inconvenient as possible, but you're going to like it and celebrate the inconvenience and the loss of your freedom while we're at it. Let's go on. For lower-income households and communities most impacted by pollution. So to me, that means if you criticize our plan, you're racist and you want low-income people to die because you're driving a gas-powered vehicle. Now, your translation of that may be different. I'm open to uh, hearing that. Our number here, 209-551-3483, and I am open to uh, different translations of what you just heard. And all that said, in just a few moments, I'm going to tell I am for cleaner air, and I am for taking care of the environment. Uh, Theologically, that's what we're supposed to do. Uh, The creation is given us to take care of, but it is subservient to us for our constructive use. We are not subservient to it. I'm all for clean air and such, so we'll discuss that in more detail coming up in three minutes. Again, our phone number, 209-551-3483, and I'll give you my perspective on, uh, on what we just heard. Again, that's coming up on three minutes here on the Mike Douglas Show on Power Talk 1360 KFIV. Take the Mike Douglas Show with you every weekday from 3 till 5. Download the free iHeartRadio app and follow 1360 KFIV. And welcome back to the Mike Douglas Show here on Power Talk 1360 KFIV. I just gave you my somewhat tongue-in-cheek translation of the California Air Resources Board uh, perspective on uh, their plan to have uh, zero emission vehicles uh, by uh, 2035 and and such. Look, I I am for cleaner air and taking care of the environment. But but I'm I'm for that with common sense and an incremental uh, results-based approach, one that recognizes... uh, that electricity production to, to support a first world nation is neither environmentally friendly nor sufficient enough to replace the gas powered engine right now. Now we may get to that point. We're not here yet. So whether it's in a passenger vehicle with long range capabilities for commuting for work or vacationing, uh, or if it's a powerful diesel engine for farming, ranching, trucking, trucking to support the supply chain to get products to you? Or what about the thousands of gardeners and and landscape maintenance workers and and homeowners like me? We we rely upon small gas-powered engines to tackle tough jobs. And uh, right now, those little electric things just literally don't cut it. I'm all for research and development of clean energy that makes sense, that's actually clean, and powerful. I'm all for nuclear-based energy sources and developing more advanced and cost-effective hydrogen uh, energy storage and such. Uh, but we're not there yet, and and so this, uh, I think this approach by the board is uh, unwise. Well, let's find out what you think. Two zero nine five five one three four eight three. Our number two zero nine. Five five one three four eight three. Let's find out what John thinks from Valley Springs. Hi, John. Welcome to the show. 
Hi, Mike. Hi, Mike. I'm. Uh, thanks. Thank you for taking my call. You know the the whole thing about this climate change and what the what what the environmentalists are basing it on is just a, such an idiotic thing, and and you don't need to have a higher than about a fourth or fifth or sixth maximum sixth grade to understand what the stupidity it is about. They claim that a CO2, which is a carbon dioxide, has to be removed from the air because that's the main pollutant and it changes the environment and, 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 and it'll cause the, uh, all this for the claim uh, the end of the world. I mean, <laughs> how idiotic that could be because CO2 is carbon dioxide, which they want to remove out of the air, is the main uh, element in 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 our green trees and grass and and the nature itself without it the green the the, the trees wouldn't grow the grass wouldn't grow and and everything would just and, and I cannot understand that the most of people Americans I mean they had at least um, uh, high school edu- education most of them. And and these people, the in in the houses, in Congress, and 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 and, and in the government, they are supposedly most of them are even high educated. And how how can they just be so ignorant and and go along with this such an idiotic idea about that we have to remove the CO two out of the uh, out of the air because it's it's created supposedly by um, by. Um, um, uh, oil and, and and whatever we do in the cows in the field and and and, and what we eat and all of that, I mean it's just a, such a stupid idiotic things that are trying to give to people. And I wonder why do the people in America? I, I'm American too now since I came over here from the communist country, and I I cannot understand why the Americans cannot get up and just. <laughs> You know, take all of this and, and just wipe off the of all these stupid ideas off of the map. So I, I thank you. I hope you get my uh, my my wind. I, I'm a little bit myself upset about it. I, I can tell, John. I got your drift, and and thanks so much for your call, John from Valley Springs. I think John, one of the one of the big issues is uh, CO two, uh, carbon dioxide has uh, been around since uh, God created creation, uh, or at least uh, the Garden of Eden, then, Eden anyway. And uh, it's, uh, th- there are hidden agendas here, I believe. And again, I'm all for clean air. I'm all for not polluting the environment. But I'm also all for common sense approaches to it. And I don't see a lot of that today and and especially when it has to do with the gas engine when it has to do with totally decimating the fossil fuel industry gas and oil not for that at all it's going to tank it is tanking the economy no pun intended and i I think uh, a lot of more harm is being done than good our number here, 209-551-3483. Uh, let's uh, go to Stanislaus County. And Debbie, uh, Debbie, what are your thoughts? Well, first of all, I'd like to thank you for taking my call. And your last sentence, you said that we're doing more harm than we're doing good. You need to say that louder and every day, ten times a day. Because this is not by accident. And, and that gentleman, John, is so wise. 
because he was wiser than most of the wonderful callers that have called in for a long, long time. This is a setup for control. The word is C. It's not going to go away until you stand up tall and you push back and you say no. And if we don't do it, my original prediction a long, long, long time ago on this station was we're going to have a civil war. There are too many reasons why they're doing what they're doing. You have to stop and think about monetary. Think about money, money, money. When all the immigrants were coming in here way back to Clinton's, that's how long it's been going on. This valley that we live in that I love, by the way, is full of immigrants that are not citizens. But the one thing they have over me is they don't have to pay the bills. And that's across our whole entire country. And they're coming in because our president and administration opened the borders. That was treason. And not one American citizen have I heard use that word to do something about it a long time ago to stop it. That was illegal what they did. When he sat there, our president, and he went over the books. He said, every one of these books, I'm going to turn over every one of them from the previous administration, and all of that is going to be for naught because I'm going to get rid of it. And the first one was to open the borders, all of them. And that's when we ceased to be the United States. But they can't get it out of their stupid illegal mouths because that's what they want. That's what they've wanted since day one. And right now they're winning. And there's only one way to stop it, because I have neighbors all around me, <laughs> and they think it's wonderful. But they're established. They have retirements. And by the way, they haven't been affected financially at all. Well, Be- Debbie, you, you, just, you, you, you just hit a, uh, a critical point there, and that is those people who are not, at least at this point, they don't feel personally affected by these policies – uh, they, I think they are in a bubble, and I think you're right in that regard. Uh, a lot of people are in a bubble because they're not feeling it. Uh, people uh, may not be, you know, if they've got, for example, student loans and they're going to be forgiven, they may think that's great. Uh, returning to the main topic here in, in terms of uh, the California Air Resources Board and, and this uh policy they want to have to uh, eliminate gas-powered vehicles, this is going to, and, and I would assume diesel as well, this is going to be absolutely horrible for the economy. I can't imagine what truckers and uh, ranchers and farmers and, uh, again, those uh, guys and gals out there who are doing landscape maintenance. I'll tell you right now, the titanium weeds on my property a uh, little electric thing isn't going to to make a dent on those titanium weeds. You need a gas power engine that has some torque behind it, and uh, it it just it it's a violation, I think, Debbie, of of common sense. And uh, I think another point you made there is is right on the money, and that is November eight, twenty twenty two, is coming up, and that's one of the places that we need to. Uh, at which we need to make a statement. Uh, I would say at the voting booth, but it may be mail-in ballots depending on on where you are. Uh, Debbie, thanks for the call. Appreciate that. Uh, and and I think both uh, John and Debbie in our our discussions here, we do have to look at follow the dollar, follow control issues, and who is benefiting. 
financially and who is increasing control. That's what it's all about, not about common sense. I have yet to hear a common sense approach from the California Air Resources Board, at least in the last couple of months. All right, back uh, in five minutes with Duke Cooper from American Veterans First. The Mike Douglas Show, now weekdays from 3 till 5 on Power Talk 1360 KFIV. You're listening to The Mike Douglas Show, the voice of the valley. Power Talk 1360 KFIV. And welcome back to The Mike Douglas Show here on Power Talk 1360 KFIV. Mike Douglas here, always privileged to serve as your concierge for conversation as we take a look at the issues that affect you and me right here in California's Central Valley. I'm going to introduce you uh, to a guest. You're uh, familiar with him, I know. We had the opportunity to visit with him a, a couple of weeks ago. He's he's one of those guys in my life that you know if if you're if you're under fire, if you're being attacked, either physically or uh, attacked in other ways, this is the kind of guy that you want watching your back. Because you know he's stand up. He's a man of his word. You know he'll uh, he'll be there and and uh, he'll he'll be watching out for your welfare and and he has a great job as well of watching out for the welfare of veterans in our area. So uh, let me reintroduce you uh, to Duke Cooper. He is the CEO of American Veterans First out of Riverbank, California. Duke, welcome to the show. Great to have you with us today. Honored to be on your show again, Mike, being on one of the uh, absolute best radio talk shows in America. Well, thank you. Uh, Duke, tell us about, I I can't quite believe the headlines in this particular story. What's happening with some of our veterans on the other side of the southern border? uh, border? Bring us up to speed. Well, I'll tell you, as usual, I've got, just to let you know, I've got you on speakerphone here. And I have Paige McLaughlin. She is a retired uh, Modesto police detective and a board member at American Veterans First and uh, the executive secretary and a big part of our veterans outreach organization. So what we have, Mike, is uh, we have 28 veterans that honorably served this country from Vietnam through Afghanistan. uh, And when they came back, they had a promise from the government. Now, these veterans are from Mexico. They came to this country, volunteered for combat duty, and the government promised them that they would have citizenship when they came back to the United States. Well, not only did they not get that citizenship, they deported these veterans. And because they've been deported, they're not allowed to come back into the United States. And right now, they're in Juarez, Mexico. And all they're really asking for is their medical benefits. That's all they want. They're not asking for any special things. So we're, we're leaving on the 13th. We're taking our truck full of uh, humanitarian gear to El Paso, Texas. And then we're going to go down into Juarez, Mexico. Uh, I'm talking to these veterans every day. 
and I, I don't understand how you can come to this country, enlist in the Marine Corps or Army and or any branch and fight in combat, and then when they come back, they discharge you and deport you and prevent you from coming back in to get to gain any of those benefits. So we're talking, and these people down in Juarez, Mexico, have nothing. They're they're in hiding now because the cartels are after them to join the cartel because of their combat experience. So we are heading down. Uh, we have a satellite office in uh, El Paso, and we're going to do what the right thing is, and that's go down and help these veterans. We're taking toothbrush, toothpaste, uh, hygiene products, pants, socks, underwear, everything that we take for granted every day, these people are doing without. So you can only imagine if you wore the same pair of socks every day, they wouldn't last very long. So we, we just, I mean, I don't understand the broken promises, but that seems to be something that our government is very good at. And I'm, I'm really disappointed in the fact the way these men have been treated. And our latest one is, is a uh, Navy veteran. Uh, he's Hispanic. He joined the Navy, spent five years, four tours, got out of the Navy, and went to work for DHS as a border uh, security agent. He is a highly decorated border security guard, several awards, and somehow they found out that, and he didn't know, when he was two weeks old, his folks snuck into the country from Mexico and bought a... Uh, birth certificate for him. So after 18 years and nine months with the Border Patrol, they found out and not only fired him, they had him escorted home, put an uh, ankle bracelet on him, and he's not allowed to travel more than 40 miles from his house. So this man has been here his whole life, was unaware of the fact what his mom and dad had done so after five years in the Navy and almost 19 years as a decorated border agent for something, he didn't commit a crime in my eyes. He had no idea that he, he was here illegally. So we're going to Texas, and we're talking to their congressman uh, now, and we're going to straighten this mess out. Duke, I, I know you're a man of detail. Uh, you're also a man of, of honor. You're a man of integrity. I know that uh, from your history. And so I, I trust you with these details. I, I, I'm not just shocked. I'm really infuriated that someone like this gentleman who served his country and uh, in, in several ways, and, and uh, to no fault of his own, uh, a problem was discovered that the United States of America would reward him by the, the way they did. This is unconscionable. I, I can't fathom it. And, and on the other hand, it just makes me very frustrated and a, a tad bit angry as well. What, what kind of uh, response have you received uh, thus far in your conversations with uh, Congress folks? Well, I'm talking to the congressman in uh, El Paso, and they're really upset, and as they should be. Now, we're letting the borders are open right now. 
So I and I asked him, I said, Well, Raul, why don't you just go back to Mexico and walk across the river? He said, Because that's not the right way to do it. Mm. So I've got their DD two fourteens, which is their discharge documents. These guys have not broken the law. They're not in trouble with the law. That was not the reason they were deported. They were deported only because the federal government broke their promise to these men. Again, my friends, we're talking with Duke Cooper. He is the CEO of American Veterans First out of uh, Riverbank, uh, here not too uh, far from our clandestine studio here on the Mike Douglas Show. Uh, Duke, and, and you, you told us his story. Are the other stories just as compelling? This, this is shocking to me. Uh, what are, are the other stories somewhat similar? The other stories are very similar. The only difference, a lot of the veterans that were deported have since died. Mm. They were not allowed to come back to the United States just to get medical care. That's all. They're not asking for money. They're not asking for special favors. I mean, these are Marines, they're Army, they're Navy, Coast Guard. These men all served honorably, served this country. And I have to tell you, as a Marine, that really does make me kind of angry. And they did that in good faith. They fought in combat for this country. And then we pay them back by kicking them across the border. That just doesn't make any sense to me. Uh, it is it is nonsensical. I would uh, I would agree with you. Uh, Duke, how can folks help you out in, in, in some way in, in your uh, effort to help these gentlemen? Well, we're a 501c3 nonprofit organization. And six years this month, we've been in business. There are no paid positions at this organization. We do this all with volunteers. Uh, as, as with any business, they can go to AmericanVeteransFirst.net, and that's our website, and they'll see a donate button. We can always use uh, funds, money, to help us along in our efforts. Uh, we turn around about 84 cents of every dollar that we get helping people. Uh, and I mean, we help them locally. We have a veterans outreach. We're feeding about 140 meals a week right now in the parks to people from uh, Riverbank, Mexico, Manteca, uh, Escalon, and Concord, and also in uh, El Paso, Texas. So, or they can come by our building at 6436 Oakdale Road in Riverbank. Uh, our uh, email is veteran, B-E-T-E-R-A-N-S-F-I-R-S-T-1-6 at gmail.com. Now, we have several divisions here, Mike. We're fighting the the to correct what the federal government has done to these people. Cause you don't want bottom line is they're humans. They're human beings. They deserve whatever. And they earned the right to be there. Now I understand, you know, the border is a real uh, sticky issue right now, but we're not politicians here. We don't play that. Uh, I think people ought to do the right thing, come into the country the right way. And if they do, they're more than welcome here. But we're also, uh, that, that's an everyday battle. And we're, we're supplying hot food, 
sanitation products for them, hygiene products, socks, underwear, T-shirts, shoes, coats, shirts, coats. Uh, last year, we probably uh, handed out over 100 uh, sleeping bags to the homeless. Uh, it, it's just, and if you've been out on the streets, you know that the homelessness is a real issue. Well, we don't judge. Somebody comes up to us and it's cold outside and you need a coat, I'm going to give you a coat. Uh, we, you know, our outreach program, other than veteran suicide, is our most important division. Uh, we're here every day, uh, Monday through Friday, 10 to 2. We're always looking for new volunteers, Mike. Uh, we, we got a long way to go. Uh, we take our mission very seriously. Uh, and our other program that, that I'd like to mention to you is veteran suicide. Mm. We're losing a veteran every 65 seconds to suicide, Mm. 24-7, about 25 uh, or 65. uh, I'm sorry. We're losing one veteran every 65 minutes. So we're losing one an hour, 24-7. We're up to about 25 a day now. Uh, We've lost three of our own to suicide in the last year. It's a real problem, and the biggest problem is we're not getting uh, support uh, from the Veterans Administration. They're starting to send us a lot of their clients to help them. We do some PTSD counseling. We do bereavement counseling here. For the survivors uh, of suicide, we have uh, uh, wives that meet here without a counselor. What better counselor you got than to talk to somebody else that's going through the exact same thing? And with suicide, you just never know. And I'll point out one in particular. Uh, David Werther, a man that I've been working two years with. Uh, when I first met him, he was a combat veteran, three tours, PTSD, and was a mess. He was on drugs, drinking a lot, and pretty much being a zero, just trying to deal with life. So we got him into some counseling. We got him off the drugs. Got him off the alcohol. He got married about 18 months ago, straightening himself out, and uh, just bought a house three months ago. And three weeks ago, he called me, as usual, 6.30 on Monday morning, and we're talking, and how's it going? What are you doing? When are you going to come by? He said, man, I'm doing great. And I asked them all, are you thinking about hurting yourself? Just told me, heck no, no. Now, that was at 6.30, and we talked for about 30 minutes, and uh, he called his boss at 7 o'clock, said I wouldn't be at work today. 8 o'clock, went to Houston and stood in front of the southbound Amtrak train. Mm-hmm. No, I didn't hear any triggers or anything from him. Uh, we're working with the wife right now. We're, we're doing uh, food and gas cards and stuff like that because uh, – what a, what a terrible state to be put in, have your spouse uh, do that to you. But, you know, it's not selfish. Uh, our research is that it's not that this veteran doesn't love his family, doesn't love his home, doesn't love his wife. All he can think about is getting the, that pain and memories out of his head. 
Absolutely. Uh, I, again, again, friends, we're talking with Duke Cooper, CEO of American Veterans First, 6436 Oakdale Road. If you'd like to help out, again, the website is uh, Veterans, am I right? AmericanVeteransFirst.net. AmericanVeteransFirst.net. And go and go to the donate button. Absolutely. And go and look at there if you can. And I think you're open, what, 10 to 2? Is that right, Duke? Yes, sir. Go and visit their museum. We had the privilege of doing a, a remote broadcast from there a couple of weeks ago. Absolutely stunning and uh, also awe-inspiring. Again, uh, AmericanVeteransFirst.net, Duke Cooper. Uh, whether you want to support their day-to-day work, whether it's uh, helping families uh, whose loved ones have committed suicide, whether it's helping the veterans that may be homeless and need blankets, whether it's helping these 28 guys in Juarez, Mexico, who have served their country and the United States has turned its back upon them, invite you friends to uh, to make contact. And if uh, God so moves you uh, to support American Veterans First and uh, Duke Cooper and his excellent team. Duke, thanks so much for raising our awareness on this and for spending time with us today. Really appreciate it, my friend. And uh, our prayers are with you, and uh, hopefully uh, some dollars will be following as well. Absolutely. We really appreciate your time, Mike. All right. Thanks so much. Duke Cooper again, American Veterans First. Let's get your reaction to what you just heard. 209-551-3483. 209-551-3483 as the Mike Douglas Show continues in three minutes here on Power Talk 1360 KFIV. Here's more with the voice of the Valley, Mike Douglas on Power Talk 1360 KFIV and streamed on the iHeartRadio app. Now, welcome back to the Mike Douglas Show here on Power Talk 1360 KFIV. Again, uh, we uh, were just speaking with Duke Cooper, CEO of American Veterans First out of Riverbank, not too far from us. And if you'd like to uh, support him, like to find out more about what they do, AmericanVeteransFirst.net is the website, AmericanVeteransFirst.net. And again, if, uh, if, if you have the time between 10 and 2, Monday through Friday, I, I would suggest you contact them and, and visit the museum that they have there. Absolutely stunning in in some ways and sobering in other ways. And I know either Duke or his staff there will be happy to give you a, a tour. Uh, by the way, it's at uh, 6436 Oakdale Road in Oakdale. Now that is, um, uh, Riverbank rather, uh, that is on Oakdale, uh, just north of Patterson. There's a Union Oil station there, I believe, on the Uh, northeast corner and it's actually the driveway beyond that so it's set back behind that union oil station it's across the street from uh the mcdonald's there so uh and really i encourage you to go and visit it It, it's absolutely impressive uh, what they do and their dedication to and and they're not blowing smoke my friends i guarantee it i've seen them in action i know duke's heart He's a veteran himself, Marine Corps veteran, and uh, they they do what they say they're doing. 
they are out there all the time and they're helping veterans out in our local area. They're, they're watching out for them in the parks. If they're homeless, they're delivering blankets. And uh, as he said, they're going to be delivering some supplies to these uh, about 28 veterans in Juarez, Mexico, who have served their country, but can't get back in. They're not going to do it illegally because they have integrity. How about that? Isn't that a concept? And so I just encourage you to to check them out and uh, do your due diligence. And if uh, God so motivates you, uh, that's a an organization, a nonprofit that I uh, that I encourage you uh, to support. Again, uh, Duke Cooper, CEO of American Veterans First dot net. And uh, by the way, you probably already heard uh, Uvalde School District has fired the police chief, Pete Arredondo, uh, because of the whole Uvalde school tragedy there. We'll talk about that, explore that in five minutes as the Mike Douglas Show continues on Power Talk 1360 KFIV. We'll be back. The show you love, talking about the issues that are important to you. The voice of the valley, the Mike Douglas Show. Now every weekday from three till five on air and online. Power Talk thirteen sixty KFIV. Here again is your host Mike Douglas, and welcome to our number two of the Mike Douglas Show here on this fine Thursday on California's power talk 1360 kfiv right here in the central valley thank you so much for being with us i look so much towards this 3 to 5 p.m slot uh weekdays as you and i get to talk about the issues of the day and talk about them and i I so much appreciate your perspectives and uh, there are times when you get me thinking and and uh, I have to uh, rethink some of my perspectives. And that's the whole point of being able to talk about these things and, and being able to disagree without being disagreeable. Uh, we all learned from that, and it's our privilege and our mission to provide that live and local presence here on Power Talk 1360 KFIV. Uvalde, Texas, the Uvalde School District last night fired their police chief, Pete Arredondo. Uh, a lot of pressure uh, in the aftermath of the, of the tragedy at, in uh, Uvalde. And, of course, one of the deadliest, if not the deadliest, classroom uh, shooting in, in U.S. history. One of the deadliest, anyway, uh, back on May 24. Arredondo, not impressive, as we've heard about more revelations regarding what happened that day. And I have two minds on this as we talk about Pete Arredondo. So do you feel it's appropriate? School police chief there uh, getting the ax, so to speak, 209-551-3483. Here's my take. I, I think it's appropriate that uh, he either stepped down or be fired, one of the two. When we talk about these types of incidents, it's very easy for us to Monday uh, Monday morning quarterback this. It's very easy for us to say, because we weren't there, aren't there, well, they should have charged in, 
and taken down that that suspect. And, you know, it's one thing to say that it's it's different when you're in that situation. However, that said, when you take an oath to serve, when you are sworn in with a badge and a gun uh, to enforce the laws of the land, uh, to protect, to serve, there are certain things that are givens. And one is when children's lives are at stake, you do what you have to do to, to save lives. And uh, as we've taken a look at this scenario, it just becomes very apparent that the whole incident was mismanaged. We've seen video of officers in the hallway. Uh, we've heard testimonies. And again, very easy to Monday morning quarterback on this. We weren't there. However, that said, I think one of the the issues for us here in California is we generally enjoy a higher degree of professionalism in our law enforcement community than much of the rest of the nation. Now, I don't know how well trained uh, those school police, uh, the local police are in Uvalde, uh, the state, uh, the state troopers uh, in Texas. I don't know, so I can't speak to that. I- I'm just saying, we in California, I think, assume a high degree of professionalism, and normally in California, that's what we see. There are exceptions to that, as there are in any profession. But generally, in California, our police officers, law enforcement officers, whether they're municipal county, state, no matter, are highly trained. We have very high standards. And it comes down to when you're on scene. If you are the first person on scene in an incident like that, where lives are at stake, and I'm going back to what in my time of government service was called the incident command system and now has different names and more advanced training and such, but I'll use what I'm familiar with, ICS Incident Command System. If you're the first person on scene in an emergency situation, and especially if lives are at stake, you are the incident commander until someone else shows up who you pass that baton to or is of a higher rank and better experience who takes the baton from you When you are there, you are the incident commander until other resources show up. And generally, it's the local person in charge who is the incident commander. And uh, those, uh, those other county resources, the regional resources, the state resources, eventually federal resources, uh, generally, they are there in support of the local agency, whether it be fire and rescue, whether it be law enforcement. So in this case, as the school district police chief, his job is to be the incident commander. Whether he wants it or not, that's where the buck stops. That's where the responsibility lies. And I I remember videos of Chief Arradondo prior to this incident in May Going, uh, I don't remember what 
news agency it was, but he was giving this news reporter a, a tour. He was showing how uh, this particular school and his district would handle a shooting incident. He was talking about the locked doors and, and he was going down a hallway, as I recall. And so it's not that there weren't plans in place. It's not apparently that there wasn't training in place. The question is, were the plans and training used on scene? And I, I would I would guess that Chief Arredondo failed in his job. And whether he wanted it or not, he, he was the incident commander, at least at some point there. And there should have been leadership that didn't happen. There should have been directions that weren't made. There should have been actions that weren't taken. My opinion is I, I am surprised that he didn't resign before now. I'm not surprised that he was let go. And apparently that was uh, yesterday. Again, 19 children killed as well as two teachers. Now let me flip this for a second. Would you want to be Chief Pete Arredondo and have those 19 children's lives and the lives of two teachers, all whose lives were snuffed out by a crazy kid? Would you want their lives preying upon your mind for the rest of your life? That's a sobering thought. Think of that. Their blood essentially is on Chief Arredondo's hands because he was or should have been the incident commander there unless he assigned that to someone else. I can't imagine how he sleeps at night. I can't imagine carrying that burden forward. And I can't imagine either the being a parent of one of those children family members. I can't imagine being the spouse or the children of, of the two teachers there, their co-workers. This is just, just sobering. And it brings to mind how important increasing training is on a consistent basis. And as I've said many, many times, we respond in emergency situations, in tough situations, the way we train. Again, I liken it to a, a sprinter in the starting blocks. That sprinter trains and trains and trains and trains again. He or she, when uh, they are in the, the starting blocks waiting for the gun to uh, go off and, and for the race to begin, they're not thinking, all right, I have my left foot here, I have my right foot here, I have these muscles tensing. Uh, no, all of that is is now somewhat automatic because they've trained to respond. So they are laser-focused at that point, and a lot of things that they don't have to think about now are automatically going to kick in because they have trained and trained and trained and trained. And so either, I think, the training was inadequate and or the manual that contained the uh, protocols, the strategies that were to be implemented, 
the manual itself was at fault and or the incident commander didn't do his job. And so I, it, it, uh, I, I'm not convicting the chief here. I'm just saying I think it's appropriate that he was let go. I wouldn't want to be him and have that on my conscience for the rest of my life. Now, I hope whoever comes in as chief behind him aggressively pursues advanced officer training, more consistent training, and has command over what he or she is supposed to do in an emergency situation. I hope the lessons learned are, uh, are brought forward. Uh, again, I, th- th- there, there's, no, there's no light here, in, in my opinion. There's, uh, and I'm not making Chief Arredondo the scapegoat by any means. I think it's just, we, in, in these types of situations, we have to be realistic. We have to look at the sobering facts, and the sobering facts are, it appears the chief did not do his job. And I think those of you in law enforcement, those of you in the uh, emergency response, first responder uh, professions understand this. And again, I think in California, we have a higher level generally of training than a lot of other places in the country. I don't know that that's the case in Uvalde. I'm just saying as a general rule, we enjoy as the public, public servants who have that high level of training. Your thoughts, 209-551-3483, 209-551-3483. It just, uh, just breaks my heart thinking about the whole thing. I'll be back in three minutes here on the Mike Douglas Show on Power Talk 1360 KFIV. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram. 1360 KFIV is your place online. Let's get social with Power Talk 1360 KFIV. And let's continue the conversation as well here on the Mike Douglas Show on Power Talk 1360 KFIV. We were talking about telecommuting or, or teleworking the other day. A lot of you weighed in on that. And in, in terms of uh, a fair amount of Apple, empo- Apple and Inc. employees, uh, petitioning not to have to come back to the office. And we had some good discussions over that. Well, here's an, an interesting development here. Uh, with the pandemic easing, apparently a lot more companies are calling their workers back to the office. Uh, so about 30% of all paid workdays are still being done from home, according to the Working from Home Research Project. That's uh, from economists at Stanford and the University of Chicago. Now, this practice is kind of catching on internationally. And in Britain, the law firm of Stevenson Harwood recently announced that employees could work full-time from home on one condition, that they take a 20% pay cut. (laughs) Now, what do you think about that? Uh, if, if you work from home and you arrange with your employer to work from home, would you be willing to take a 20% pay cut? Well, the Working From Home Project found that 4 in 10 employers plan to use remote work 
as a way to ease overall wage growth pressures, not necessarily by slashing salaries of existing employees. So they're saying, for example, a company can fill new openings with remote workers in cheaper markets by saying we'll hire you, but for 20% perhaps less than normal. So there's a software and data firm named Payscale says a little more than 60% of employers said last summer they were not considering lowering pay for future employees who work partly or fully from home. But a significant 14% of employers said they were planning to cut wages for teleworkers in low-cost areas. Laura Sherbin, who's a managing director at Saramount, which is a workplace research and consulting firm, says some employers would like working from home to be seen as a benefit or a perk, and they expect employees to feel the same way. Well, they're, they're saying there's evidence, actually, that teleworkers actually spend more time on the job than do workers in the office. Huh. Some companies also have enjoyed savings by cutting back on rent and other expenses associated with maintaining a full-scale office. The question, should employees at the same company doing the same job, should they be paid differently because one class of employee works from home and the other class of employee works in the office? Do you think that's fair? Well, compensation experts are saying that demanding teleworkers take less pay risks undercutting the biggest gains of a remote work option, enhancing productivity by being able to attract skilled workers and minimizing costly turnovers. So what do you think? I, I, uh, I, I don't quite understand the logic there. If there's a benefit to the company because a remote worker and a a remote employee who's telecommuting saves them office space, rental space, maintenance. In other words, if a telecommuting employee cuts, cuts their bottom line, why would they ask that employee to take a pay cut? Does that... Makes sense to you? Any of you employers understand that? Or if you are an employee and you are or were telecommuting, would you be willing to take a, a pay cut to work from home? I'm missing the logic there. As a, as a CEO of a nonprofit, uh, we, we kind of have a hybrid system where uh, staff... Uh, can work from home uh, when, when it's possible. There are other times when staff needs to be in the office because there needs to be a presence there. So it's kind of a hybrid situation, but it doesn't affect pay. I think probably in, in the for-profit industries, uh, this would make you know may, maybe more impact. I'm, I'm not sure I understand this, uh, this whole scenario here. Maybe... Uh, Maybe you have some thoughts. 209-551-3483, our number, 209-551-3483. Thinking about uh, the border being so open, people coming over the border, 
San Jose City Council on Tuesday had more than 100 residents speaking in favor of extending the right to vote in a local elections to all residents, regardless of immigration status. How do you feel about that? In San Francisco in 2016, they passed a law to allow non-citizen parents to vote in school board elections. Oakland voters, uh, I believe, had a similar ballot measure. Both cities now are facing lawsuits around the language in the state constitution. San Francisco's rule, in fact, was struck down by a trial court and is expected to be appealed. Oakland, uh, they're... uh, they're out uh, out yet on that. They've been uh, not yet served with the lawsuit. What do you think about that? Citizens vote, have the right to vote. What about non-citizens? What about non-citizens who have green cards? What about illegal immigrants? We're talking about various levels of non-citizen here or various classifications of non-citizens should non-citizens be allowed to vote in local elections how do you feel about that thinking uh some that have green cards and they're productive citizens they're uh, paying taxes and such uh, should they be allowed to vote even though they're not citizens and then you think of people who come over the border illegally should they be allowed to vote in local elections. And maybe you think there's uh, maybe a difference there in terms of the the classifications. Uh, Give it some thought. We'll talk about it coming up. Our number 209-551-3483. Non-citizens, should they be allowed to vote in local elections? We'll talk about it in five minutes. Mike Douglas Show, Power Talk 1360 KFIV. Mike Douglas Show. Now, weekdays from 3 till 5 on Power Talk 1360 KFIV. A pastor with passion, a minister with manners. Now, back to the Mike Douglas Show on Power Talk 1360 KFIV. And welcome back to the Mike Douglas Show again here on Power Talk 1360 KFIV. There's an interesting question here, and this is uh, brought up by looking at some proposals here in San Jose and uh, San Francisco, Oakland as well. And that is, should non-citizens be allowed to vote in local elections? What do you think? 209-551-3483. Here's my thought process on this. And I, I, it's, it's the, uh, I apply the Douglas Law of Reverse Application. I'm thinking, over the years, my wife and I have, have had the privilege of doing some short-term ministry assignments in, in other places, uh, Eastern Europe, Western Europe, uh, Hong Kong, while it was still under uh, British authority. And I'm trying to think, if, if I was in any of those locations for an extended period of time, let's say I had a visa that allowed me uh, to be there and, uh, and such, and I was uh, being productive, I was working, would I expect to be allowed to vote, if they had voting, <laughs> would, I be, would I expect to be allowed to vote 
in local matters? I'm not sure I would. I, I don't know that I would feel I had the justification or the right to do that uh, be, because I'm, I'm living there not as a citizen. Even though I'm productive, I, I am not a citizen. And my, my sense is that if you're going to be allowed to vote, then you do need to be a citizen of the United States of America, even in local elections. Now, with that, I think we need, I think we need to work on the path to citizenship. And we've kicked that can down the road for decades and decades. I, I think the, it, it is just absolutely frustrating to me that people are coming over the border and they're, they're not having to, uh, to get their shots. They're, they're not having to abide by laws. Um, they're, they're being allowed to break a law in the, in the very first place by coming over the border without, uh, without legal uh, paperwork and without going through the process. I think we need to rectify that. We need to, not, not to make citizenship just easy, but to make it reasonable, to, to make it uh, a matter of common sense, a process that has a common sense approach and gives people a pathway to citizenship that isn't putting them through the ringer, but on the other hand, doesn't uh, give people the right to become citizens just because they crossed the border. And in that case, uh, again, I come back to the fact I, I don't know that I really support allowing non-citizens the, uh, the right to vote. I mean, we, we have the, they're enjoying other protections of law enforcement. Uh, they're enjoying uh, other protections of fire and rescue services. They're enjoying many other benefits of living in the United States of America. But if not yet a citizen... I, I'm not sure that I'm compelled to say they have the right to vote even in local elections. What are your thoughts? 209-551-3483, 209-551-3483. While you're thinking about that, I did you do you know what cyber flashing is? I learn thing new things every day. There's a California bill to benefit victims of cyber flashing. And apparently it's headed to Governor Gavin Newsom's desk if he hasn't already dealt with it. And it allows people to take legal action against others who send them electronically unwanted sexually explicit pictures or videos. Now, I have never received, I guess that's called cyber flashing, uh, nobody, <laughs> nobody's ever bothered to send me and I don't want them. Please. Now I, some of you, I know with your senses of humor, will do something here. Don't send me unwanted explicit pictures or videos, please. Uh, but I, I have never had those sent to me and I don't want them to be sent to me. But anyway, uh, the measure was passed Monday, authored by Senator Connie Leva and sponsored by the dating app Bumble. 
And if it's passed, uh, Senator uh, Connie Leva says the bill would hold offenders accountable for their abusive and inexcusable behavior. Uh, Nobody opposed the measure. I guess my question is, aren't there already laws against that? Is, Is there no law against that? Apparently not. Although I, I don't know, but it seems to me there there has to be something that would say this. I, I know if it involves minors and all that, there are certainly laws that, that affect that. Cyber flashing, never heard of it. Have you any of you ever been cyber flashed? I've, I mean, I, I get... I get, uh, you know, phishing emails that look suspicious and I never click on them. You know, uh, you get those things that uh, someone in Russia wants to know you. Right. Delete. Uh, that that doesn't seem to be quite what this is. I mean, there, there's there's an act there of actually taking the bait. And, uh, you know, we, we caution you against uh, against doing that. But I... I don't know. Is this a do you th- is this bill necessary? I don't know. Cyber flashing. Yeah, ever occurred to you? Ever happened to you? I uh I don't know. All right, talking about non-citizens voting. What do you think about that? Even in local elections, do you think that non-citizens, maybe those that have green cards and are productive, should non-citizens be allowed to vote? In local elections, our number here, 209-551-3483, 209-551-3483. Let's find out what Nancy from Modesto thinks. Hi, Nancy. Welcome to the show. Hi, Michael. Um, I, you know, this world has just turned upside down to me. I am just absolutely appalled with so many things that are going on now. Uh and I hope we voters, legal voters, uh, will turn out in mass to right our sinking ship. Um, I do not believe that illegal anyone should be allowed to vote. That is a citizen's privilege, and we should consider it a privilege. And I have been a devoted voter for uh, more years than I want to say, but I am just appalled with that and so many other things uh, that you talk about. Uh, I haven't been able to listen to your whole show today, but uh, anyway, that's my comment, and those are my feelings. Yeah, Nancy, I'm I'm not I, I'm really not sold on this, uh, and, and what caused me to think about it, Nancy, was let's take the example of of someone who's been here a long time and, and they have the green card and, and that's a process. Uh, every couple of years, 10 years, I think, they have to plunk down a whole lot of money in order to uh, retain that, that right to work here in the United States of America. So I, I stopped at that and I 100% agree with you regarding uh, illegal immigrants, illegal aliens, and I'm, I'm not... Uh, I'm not afraid to use those terms. Uh, but then I thought about, well, what about the green card holder who uh, is productive? Should they be allowed to vote? And I'm still, I still think, Nancy, that voting is a privilege of citizenship. 
and that that ought to be retained. I, I, I think even in that case, I, I, I'm not in favor under any circumstances of non-citizens having a right to vote. Well, um, <laughs> that's what I think, and I'm wondering, I don't know all the, the particulars or, of course, reasons why people remain in our country and just with a green card. Uh, I believe that if they live here, they're prospering, they're evidently liking it. What's the matter with becoming a citizen? You can be a dual citizen, can't you, have a dual citizenship uh, with another country? Uh, just, just uh, I think we're taking our citizenship too lightly. We citizens of the United States, whether born or legally becoming citizens, should have special rights in my opinion. So, you know, that's just my opinion. <laughs> so anyway, Michael, I'd sure like to know why people don't become citizens if they continue to live here and evidently must like it. So just just, just curious about that. Thank well, you. Okay. Nancy, thanks for your call. Uh, appreciate that. Uh, and again, that that was the that was the point that caused me to pause and think about this. Uh, uh, the green card holder that, that may be here for a long time and uh, dutifully goes through the process every I think it's every ten years. I somebody may need to correct me on that, uh, but it involves a, a hefty uh, uh, financial commitment and all of the, you know they're productive. They're paying taxes. Um, should they have the right to vote? I'm, I'm still not convinced that a non-citizen should have that right. You may think otherwise, and that's fine. Love to hear your opinion. Our number here, 209-551-3483, 209-551-3483. Uh, and now, and there's another bill. We just talked about the cyber flashing bill. I didn't even know cyber flashing was a term. Uh, but apparently there's a bill now that will, it, it's called the rap lyrics bill. And, and this is interesting to me. It has a little background on it. So it's going to take some time to, uh, explain and I'll, I'll explain the details as I know them to you about the rap lyrics bill, uh, coming up in three minutes here on the Mike Douglas show on power talk, 1360 KFIV. He's got issues. Let's talk about it. The Mike Douglas Show, on air and online. Power Talk 1360 KFIV. And welcome back to the Mike Douglas Show, again here on Power Talk 1360 KFIV. And uh, this is very interesting rap bill. It's AB 2799. And uh, I, I, I think, well, well, let me go over it. Uh, let me go over it. Uh, Apparently, the the gist of it is that prosecutors uh, may be prohibited from using rap lyrics as evidence in California co- courts. So it's passed the state assembly and Senate, uh, and it would ban lyrics from being cited in court cases unless prosecutors can demonstrate that the words are directly relevant to the case in question. This was a head-scratcher for me. I was thinking, what? What's the genesis of this? What, why are we even dealing with this? Uh, according to the bill, the legislation seeks to ensure, again, that the use of an accused 
person's creative expression will not be used to introduce stereotypes or activate bias against a defendant, nor as character or uh, propensity evidence. I had to dig pretty deeply to find out what's going on here. Billboard, believe it or not, seemed to have uh, the best key to this. So they're saying, Billboard says, in technical terms, AB 2799 would create a so-called presumption against the use of any creative expression as evidence, in this case, rap music, rap lyrics, meaning not an outright ban, but a hurdle for prosecutors to overcome. The law would require courts to hold that such evidence offers minimal value unless the state can show that the expression was created near in time to the crime, bears a level of similarity to the crime, or includes factual details about the crime that are not otherwise publicly available. All right, so what what caused all this? Why, why is this even on our radar screen? Well, it's... Uh, It's because of a case down in in Georgia. Apparently, uh, this became a national issue earlier this year when rap lyrics were used as part of alleged evidence in a sweeping grand jury indictment in Fulton County, Georgia, Georgia, that led to the arrest of hip-hop stars Young Thug and Gunna on gang-related charges. Now, Young Thug, uh, and and I'm not, I'm not a big rap fan, I, and and there are all kinds of rap music. It's just it's not a style that appeals to me. I and nothing wrong with it. I there are there are some lyrics just like lyrics with any other type of uh, genre. Uh, a lot of lyrics that I have read because it's hard to understand them sometimes in the context of the music for me anyway, Uh, when I read some of the lyrics, I'm appalled at uh, how much violence there is and and all of that. So apparently that some lyrics by this Grammy award-winning young thug, whose real name is Jeffrey Lamar Williams, uh, he was charged with one count of conspiring to violate Georgia's racketeer-influenced and corrupt Organizations Act. That, if you're familiar with that, it's called a RICO Act. And another count of participating in street gang activity. And apparently he also faces six additional drugs and weapons charges after law enforcement searched his home following his arrest. So apparently some lyrics that he wrote were used during the trial. It sounds to me like the case was pretty solid with or without the lyrics. His attorneys, of course, saying that he's committed no violation of law whatsoever. And then the uh, Grammy-nominated rapper Gunna was charged with one count of conspiring to violate the RICO Act. Uh, Mr. Sergio Kitchens, known as Gunna, that's G-U-N-N-A, is innocent, says his attorneys. The indictment falsely portrays his music as part of a criminal conspiracy. Do you find this a head-scratcher at all? 
In, in this particular report, it says, although the scope of the indictment, which names 28 individuals, goes far beyond the lyrics, the use of rappers' lyrics as part of the alleged evidence was a sticking point for advocates and has drawn pushback from the music industry. Apparently, both defendants were denied bond, and their trials are set for uh, this coming January. So, AB 27... 99 again a head scratcher for me and and you always think of following the dollar you always think of what type of issues are are there here financially what type of issues are there in terms of control and i i don't know and and i've just spent this morning digging into this a little bit and and a lot of this is still a, a bit um well, it, it's mysterious to me. Now, now, do I think that rappers ought to be convicted solely upon their lyrics? No. Uh, now, I assume what uh, they were doing, what the prosecutors were doing, were saying, well, here are some uh, lyrics that would indicate that this defendant is a proponent of gang-type activity. And I think gang-type activity ought to be prosecuted. And the RICO Act is, uh, has long been used as, uh, as a method to, uh, uh, to derail gang activity and, and to uh, prosecute participants. Uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm still mystified by this. And I think I'm just looking at a lot of these. I'm looking at the cyber-flashing bill in California and I'm looking at AB 2799 here, the, the rap lyrics bill. And I'm thinking with all the other issues we have in California, droughts and violence on the streets, uh, the homeless, with the economy the way it is, with, with businesses leaving California, is, is this, are these really high priorities for our legislators? Well, we'll talk about it more tomorrow, and tomorrow is Friday. That means it's What's on Your Mind Friday, and we'll look forward to talking about it tomorrow on The Mike Douglas Show here on Power Talk 1360 KFIV. Have a great night.